bitched cockroach like you should know. Never, but never fuck with the king. <laughs> What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, a new year is almost upon us, but before we get to that and before we get to the best albums of 2022, we got to do it here. The top albums of 2002. We're going back 20 years and counting down what I consider to be the best albums of 2002. What a weird year 2002 is. Kind of a downer year as far as the overall view of where hard rock, heavy metal, any just basic rock and roll, where that all is. Just from the popular standpoint, the pop culture side of things, 21st century has not been kind to rock and roll on the mainstream tip. We've had a couple of good things break through, but not a whole lot. You go and look up any kind of 2002 list online, you know, at least as far as the overall broad strokes of the year and you're going to see things like it's just all pop and all hip-hop and we have gotten to this point now in the history of rock where Nickelback is our sole representative of a rock band having one of the best-selling albums of the year and they're the only ones that appear in the top 10 selling albums of 2002. So we're in dark times and I've long said this as a fan of any kind of rock and roll, rock, punk hard rock heavy metal what have you if you are a fan of this stuff and living in the 21st century you do have to be an archaeologist to find the best stuff majors aren't really going to do it for you and even if they have a good band on their label they're not going to push them because it's not what's in style and i don't mean to sound like a snob but the thing that cracks me up in the 21st century is the indie rock movement which I'm not trying to hate on all the indie rock bands. There's a few good ones out there. But the fact that they're calling them that just so they can have the cool cred, yet most of them either are or signed over to majors in this particular time period. And then all of my bands, quote unquote my bands, were forced underground and onto independent labels. Therefore, aren't we indie rock? I don't know. It just seems to make sense. But hey, 
I don't make the rules. And once again, I don't mean to sound like a snobbish prick or anything, but yeah, you gotta dig for stuff. You gotta go on message boards. You gotta ask around to the people that have the good taste in music. So it, it's rough out there. It's rough out there for non-pimps. <laughs> yeah, so what we're gonna do here to wrap up 2002 is I'm gonna count down the top 45 albums of 2002. So even though it was a light year for this kind of music, the top five is so good, I'm going to give them their own show at the end of it all. So part five of this countdown is going to be double shots of the top five records of 2002. So we got some good ones coming up. We got some good ones, honestly, throughout this entire countdown. The stuff that's low on this list, with the exception of the first few albums, which are still fine, but they're in that three quarters good kind of thing, or a little bit lower. But there's still good stuff to be had on them. So let's start off the countdown here. Number 45, fitting because this band is having their rookie year in 2002. A band that gets labeled as an indie rock band, but I don't understand that because they were always on a major. I hear alternative get thrown around there, but I always just consider them to be a good pop rock band. And they're still going to this day. And the band that I feel definitely replaced Foo Fighters on that, have you seen the video kind of band? The, the one that people talk about. Have you seen that video in a age where video does not matter these guys actually became probably the first youtube band that actually had real records out where people actually watched their videos even though they were kind of sort of getting played on mtv but that's not where you're going to find them you had to go online to watch them that's the band okay go so i i had heard the get over it song catchy enough song like i said i think they're just a good pop band and I'd heard that song. I saw them open up for the Donnas at Trees in Dallas. And that was when they were supporting the Spend the Night record. Great tour. And yeah, OK Go opened up. I thought they were cool. Very respectable openers right there. They're still figuring out their thing. They even did a fun cover of the Specials Nightclub, which it's, it's always that moment where a, a deep enough song gets covered where it's like me and like four other dudes are like, yeah, you know, you have that moment sometimes, right? Anyway. Yeah, no, this record's pretty good. It's a solid three quarters good for me. So that's all I can really say about it. But at least we got something on here to represent a good band of quality that's at least getting played on the radio and has a bit of a cool name here in 2002. So yes, to kick off this countdown right here, going to go deep on the record, but I really like this one. It's kind of a ballad, but it's kind of heavy at, at times, it, but it's got great pop hooks in it too. So I just really dig this song, and I had forgotten about it, but it sounds really good right now, 20 years later. So check it out to open up the show here and to kick off this countdown. This is OK Go, and the song is called Return. <laughs>
Coming in at number 45 on the top albums, the 2002 Countdown, that was OK Go with their self-titled record. I should probably get into the habit of getting back into that wiki window and giving you some stats. That album came out on September 17th, 2002. It was co-produced by Howard Willing and David Trumfio. I believe I have that right. Okay. Coming in at number 44 right here. Let's just get it out of the way. You're going to be like, oh, Joey's gone hipster and everything. No, obviously, you know I'm... Not even remotely that. I've never been cool. So I'm not putting these bands on this list to get any kind of cool credit. If I was going to do that, these bands would be like in the top 20. So let's just move on here. And coming at number 44 is this band's debut album, or at least their debut full length. I'm not sure if they did the EP thing before that. So I'm not a big authority on this band, but more often than not, I like their records. And they always hit me at, for the most part, a three quarters good record band. They've got a few that are above that echelon, but this isn't one of them. But when I heard this in 2002, I thought it was a very promising debut. I never thought that they would actually get to the heights that they have. So the fact that this band plays arenas now, I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. I saw them play at the Granada Theater back when they had gotten decently popular, but I never expected them to graduate to arenas. But man, good for them. Talking about the Black Keys, they got their first full length here called The Big Come Up, produced by Patrick Carney of the band right there. And he's the drummer of the band, if I have that right. That, that seems right. Okay, but anyway, moving on. Yeah, The Big Come Up. It's pretty cool, man. And they've even done albums where, if I'm not mistaken, they've done entire albums that are just covers, if not just Junior Kimbrough covers. There is a Junior song on here, and there's also an R.L. Burnside song on here. And they even throw in the Beatles She Said, She Said towards the end of the record. So mostly leaning on the white boy blues thing, but they do white boy blues pretty well. You know, for a couple of pale faces, they do damn good with it. I gotta say it. And you could tell that they're probably legit fans, especially doing this music at a time where it's not too in fashion. Plus, they're not doing the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing where they're just going to be virtuosos about it. So I feel like it comes from a place of legitimacy. So that's another reason why I've never had a problem with them. So yes, let's play my favorite song off of this record. I'll, I'll stay off the covers and go with a really fun original right here. Still like this song from the first time I heard it up to the last week when I was re-reviewing this record. So here you go. This is The Breaks. Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker. And listen with a sparkle in your eye. As though you might be thinking... Gee, this is the most wonderful thing I ever heard in all my life.
Not to be confused with the Curtis Blow classic of the same name, but yes, that was The Breaks. So yes, by the Black Keys, off their debut album, The Big Come Up. Moving over here to album number 43. Got a band that I've never played on the show before, and I'm actually pretty new to this band, which is kind of sad because I know a lot about the family tree of this band. I've just never dived into them per se, but I should have a long time ago. It's punk rock stalwarts right here, Dag Nasty. And yeah, I, I just don't know why I've never listened to this band, but I saw them on the list here of people that put out records in 2002, and I, I had seen their records in record stores before, and they always have intriguing-looking album covers, so I was like, I just need to listen to these people, by God. So I did, and I, I enjoyed this record quite a bit. Had a lot of good energy to it, as a punk rock album should. Yeah, and they've got roots everywhere. You know, A lot of DC hardcore roots, Uh, ties to minor threat ties to bad religion and stuff like that so yeah nothing wrong with that at all of course they come from good stock so yes this is their fifth album right here it's called minority of one came out august 13th 2002 self-produced and if this is your first time hearing them then i'm going to give you a really cool track to sink your teeth into this one's called broken days
Dag Nasty right there coming in at number 43 on the top albums of 2002 Countdown. That might have actually done better had I had any nostalgia for it, but I'm glad to play it here for you here on the Countdown. Just based off of that and the fact that I liked Minority of One so much, I'm going to be checking out their other albums. They only have six records out, so that's easy to get into. So, all right, from Punk to Prague with number 42 right here in Porcupine Tree, which... I don't think I've ever played them on the show either. I I may have played them once, I think. I don't know. But that's another one of those bands that people have always tried to get me on over the last 20 years for sure. And I guess it's by no coincidence it's been almost exactly 20 years that people have been trying to get me into this band because apparently they took a decent shift in style around this time and started playing a little more hard-edged, almost bordering on prog metal type style when they hadn't really played anything that heavy on record before this. But in 2002, September 24th, 2002 to be exact, they put out the seventh record called In Absentia. I believe that's how you pronounce it, yeah. And produced by Stephen Wilson, which I didn't even have to look down for that one because I know that was produced by Stephen Wilson because he's a very sought-after producer and mixer right now at this point in time. People always be like, oh, is Steven Wilson going to mix this? You know, every time someone puts a box set out or something, it's like, it's almost like you expect it. But yeah, that name does hold a lot of water at this point in sound quality. So that's cool. But yeah, this is my first top to bottom Porcupine Tree album. So I'll be checking them out in the future for sure. I haven't become like a huge, huge fan. I've become a convert based off of this record, but I'm definitely at least politely intrigued, I will say. So let's see if this track does the same for you in case you were in the same boat as I was. Here's Porcupine Tree with The Creator Has a Master Tape.
Porcupine Tree right there with the creator as a master tape from the album In Absentia. Hope you enjoyed that. It's what I described it probably right on the nose. It's prog leaning into a hard rock and metal direction. But like I said, I'm going to check more of their stuff out in the future for sure. No doubt about that. Moving over to album number 41 right here. Now, it's got to be tough for a band who has a pretty decent look going on and is on a major and they're doing really well. Their albums sell consistently for a few turns around the sun and then the tide shifts and you're no longer in fashion. It's got to be tough. I think it's much easier to be like in one position of moderate success and maintain that maybe going up and down maybe it's i don't know i don't know what the better journey is and not that this band was ever playing arenas or anything but i think when the style of music that you play goes out of fashion much like it's happened to a lot of genres over these decades i think if you can sort of do your best to maintain not hit the panic button and just consistently do what brought you to the dance tour consistently interact with your fans do all that it really separates the quote-unquote men from the boys and i think this band did that with this record here so on june 25th 2002 this band put out their fourth studio album called cheer up and i'm talking about real big fish so while in 2002 pop punk may be in fashion ska pop punk is not in fashion But I always enjoyed this band. I saw them a handful of times live. And that's one of those bands you you really do have to see them live to fully appreciate them. I know that's most bands, but these guys just have a ton of fun on stage and they throw a party and I respect them for doing it. So I'm always going to give them a shot no matter what. And it's a testament to what I said that the fact that they did their thing and maintained their thing, they're still putting out records to this day. They're still touring to this day. So, and I think that's awesome. You know, it's actually more than awesome. It's bitchin'. And that sums up the song I'm going to play here off of this album to represent it. It's a good old time. And these guys, they're not making fun of it. They're paying tribute. I mean, yeah, they're making a little fun. They're doing a little bit of a parody, a tribute to the absurd. But I know legitimately these guys are fans of hard rock music. So you can enjoy it on a bass level right here. So from the album, Cheer Up. This is Real Big Fish with Rock and Roll is Bitchin'.
Good times right there. That was Real Big Fish with Rock and Roll is bitchin'. If you're listening to this show, you know, you know, deep down inside, I believe that you are absolutely bitchin'. Yes, that album, I I was looking this up. This album was produced by a guy named Val Gary, who, I don't know what's cooler. The fact that that guy produced Betty Davis Eyes, like, yeah, the original version, the Kim Carnes song. But he also produced an album for Ezio. I think that might be a push, but those things are really cool fucking things to have on your resume. So yeah, that guy is definitely bitching. So yes, here we go. Album number 40 right here on the top albums of 2002. This album came out on March 31st, 2002, produced by David Botrill, who uh, has credits ranging from metal to world music. And it, Definitely is on the menu in both ways for this particular album, actually. Now, before this album even came out, I was actually reading about it. I don't know how I was reading an article about this band, because I was not even remotely a fan of this band at this point. I thought that some of the moves they did on their third album were intriguing. I'm like, man, maybe they'll be okay after a while. And then they wound up putting out a a cool couple of songs on different comps and soundtracks, and I started to take a little more notice of them. So I guess I answered my own question. That's probably why I was reading maybe a Billboard article about this upcoming album by Silverchair. So this album's called Diorama, and the thing that made me actually listen to this record sooner than later was the fact that they were working in the studio with Van Dyke Parks doing strings and arrangement for him. Van Dyke Parks is the guy that co-wrote the Smile record with Brian Wilson for the Beach Boys. And he worked on his own records too. He's a very avant-garde kind of guy. Weird guy too. Crazy lyricist. But yeah, I just thought, wow, what a random thing that Van Dyke Parks is working with Silverchair. That's just odd. I guess Daniel Johns might have been doing the same thing that I was doing in the early 2000s, which was listening to a fuck ton of Beach Boys records and the deep ones at that. So that that could be why. But in this record, Diorama, I remember slightly praising it when it was out. Like, hey, you should give this a shot. It's not what you think it's going to be. And over the years, I've kind of gone back and forth with, well, is this the more honest version of them? Or is what they did when they were 15? I guess both eras could be honest. Because you do grow up a lot in about five, six years, especially those years between 15 and 21. So, yeah, I guess that was the case. But it's a huge, huge pivot over from Nirvana Light to this kind of stuff. I mean, at times it's super artsy. I guess it's along the lines of what Muse was doing when they first came out, in a sense. Not as extreme and as proggy or anything, but it was just interesting. And I've always... Uh, it's the only Silver Chair album I own to this day, so it's always kind of had my ear. So 
I was curious to see how well it was going to line up on this countdown because I figured it would make it on here somewhere. But as of right now, I probably enjoy about 80% of this record still. So there you have it. And to represent this album, I'm going to go ahead and play the opening track on the record because I don't know of a better song to represent the record because it ranges from like super light to kind of heavy. And I think this song does a little bit of both. So, and, and you're going to hear the strings that Van Dyke arranged on here as well. It accomplishes all the things they wanted you to know right off the bat. So good placement. And so from the album Diorama, this is Silverchair with Across the Night. Across the night was the moon that stole my slumber. Across the night, I, 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 I fell in love with people's
Kind of having that end of the movie swingers moment with Vince Vaughn jumping up on the table going, you groans up and you groans up and he's all drunk and stuff. And it's great. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the musical version of that. That was silver chair from the album diorama. That was across the night. Some people who like their initial albums probably hate this record for all I know, but I think it's interesting. So let me know what you think. If you want to hear them like rock out as much as humanly possible, you should definitely go look up their cover of London's Burning by The Clash. That thing rules. Speaking of ruling things, of course, this guy always rules. So much so that even his most morose record will still do pretty decent on a countdown that I am 100% ranking myself. So yes, Rob Halford, of course, with his solo band Halford, put out their second full-length album on June 25th, 2002, produced by also bandmate Roy Z, the great Roy Z. And yeah, it's not as instantly likable as Resurrection, but it might be a tad more honest, as far as I could tell. There's a lot of dark themes, just it's not happy. It doesn't have any kind of pop sensibility that Rob is really good at doing. And honestly, even Resurrection doesn't have that too much. It's just straight up more metal, you know, without having hooks. So the problem with this record is probably the lack of hooks, but it's still very listenable. It's still heavy metal music sung by one of the greatest voices in the history of the world. So it's hard to go super wrong, but I wouldn't recommend it as a whole, let's just say. And then ping-ponging back again to say anything that Rob sings on is at least worth listening to once. I have a fun fact about this record, actually, that I just found out. Is it the guy that plays drums on this album? This guy named Bobby Jarzembeck. He actually is the current drummer 
for George Strait. <laughs> yes. So there you have it. I don't think that fact's going to ruin any kind of enjoyment you might get out of this song. I just ran into that fact a couple of minutes ago and I had to share it with the world. So yes, nothing that a little quick clicking with the fingers won't pull off yourself, but this is why you listen to the show, right? To get those kind of things into your brain as well. So yes, from Crucible, this is Halford with the kickoff track from the original version of this album. I'll explain later. This is the title track, Crucible.
Ah, yes. Nothing like Rob Halford when he gets into a song. And even just right there, he just starts yelling, Crucible, at the top of his lungs. So great. But yes, that was Halford with Crucible off the album of the same name. And I, I was talking about the original version before I played that song. He did this thing back... I guess he wound up getting to own all of his masters as far as a solo artist goes. So he owns all the fight stuff and all of his Halford stuff, which is awesome. Uh, what happened was when, I guess when he finally got a hold of it, he wound up re-releasing everything, but also remixing everything. And in doing that, I think he resequenced most of the albums as well. But that one got a massive resequence and remix job. So it's almost like a whole other record if you listen to the Halford-owned version, which I was ranking the original one because obviously that was the one that existed in 2002. But yeah, if you actually go down the rabbit hole and listen to both versions, and you got to have the original CD to actually hear the original one now. But the only one that's streaming is the Halford-owned one with a different sequence. But if you're able to do the A-B on it, let me know what you think. I'll have to do it at some point. I do have both, but yes, because you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a psychopathic fan. Is another one of the great frontmen of all time, unfortunately no longer with us. This was even a posthumous record because he had passed away the year before this, but he had finished the bulk of this record prior to his passing away, and thankfully he had a good producer to go in and make the album happen and realize it. Probably one of his last wishes. So on February 19th, 2002, it was actually the debut solo album by Joey Ramone. Joey, obviously, he never put out any solo albums in his lifetime. You know, of course, always known for being a Ramone. And by this point, the Ramones had only been broken up for five years when Joey was finishing up this album. But yeah, definitely one of the biggest deaths that ever affected me emotionally was the death of Joey Ramone, for sure, because... I feel like I knew him my whole life, and I just love the guy. What's not to love? He's just uh, just had that lovable loser thing going on, but also kind of a rock guy at the same time. It was just crazy that he could pull off both of those things. But yeah, we miss you, Joey. And of course, with this album coming out, all of us were going to give it a major pass just because we love the guy. We wanted the album to be good. And I like the album pretty well. Once again, it's in that three-quarter pocket. There's about, what, three covers on it? They open with the What a Wonderful World cover, which is awesome because that song really made tracks. It's in a ton of movies and TV shows, and I think it even made it into some commercials. It's got a leftover with his cover of The Stooges' 1969 on there. That was on a Iggy tribute album basically right around the time the Ramones had broken up. And that's actually him playing with the Misfits on that track. So go track down either that tribute or this album for that reason. And speaking of the Misfits, a guy who also had produced Misfits records and had produced Ramones records before, Daniel Ray was the producer on this. He's the one that put the album together after Joey died. And I'm glad he was around to do it because Daniel's a great producer. He's got a great ear. Even if he works on an album and the material's not so good, he's going to make it sound great. So that's what makes a great producer. But yeah, it's an album worth checking out if you've never heard it. You get to hear him stretch out a little bit. He doesn't stray too far from what I would say like the last couple of Ramones records. Most of this stuff would probably have made it on a Ramones record like on Adios Amigos or Mondo Bizarro or something like that. But yeah, and that, that's a compliment, honestly. So yeah, so I'm going to go with this song right here. A cool original off of the record. And uh, here it is. This is Stop Thinking About It. Stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. 
album don't worry about me that was joey ramone with stop thinking about it hope you enjoyed that how could you not it's joey ramone by god all right coming in here at number 37 37 at this band right here which i would have put good money on these guys being the next big thing i really thought that this is what the world was waiting for as far as the next phase of what rock and roll music was going to sound like and look like and all that stuff and not that i thought they were the best band i've ever heard or anything but i just was like this is a home run it's it's got to work but sadly it didn't and i don't know if it was managers decisions labels it seems like they had a lot of label problems anyway this band had been signed for five years and they could never get a record out and then finally in 2001 finally finished up what would be their long-awaited debut record on may 14th of 2002 this band right here dead z spelled d-e-a-d-s-y in case you didn't know in case you've never heard of this band and, and chances are you may not have and even the fact they were associated with bands that i didn't really give a shit about or like at this time is i call it the family values family tree you know your corns and your limp biscuits and stuff like that but i just thought the sound that they were going for was was going to work basically like depeche mode and duran duran meets goth metal stuff like that new metal what have you but yeah so i had even heard some of the demos and there was a couple of songs that got out I had heard a leaked version really early on in the internet days. I heard a leaked version of their cover of Fox on the Run, and I thought, man, this is awesome. So, like I said, I I was banking on these guys being superstars. But it was not to be. 
They only put out one other album besides this, and I even have a copy of the debut album that never came out, like an actual printed version, like a promo, and it never came out. Much like what happened with Degeneration, Label Troubles. But yeah, this band Dead Z, they put out their debut record, Commencement. It was produced by a noted, at least a guy who is more popularly known as a pop producer, Josh Abraham. And if you didn't know this, by the way, <laughs> kind of buried the lead here. The lead singer of Dead Z is this guy named Elijah Blue Almond. He's basically the love child of Cher and Greg Allman back when they were briefly married in the 70s. That was a big deal at the time. But he is the product of their love. And once again, being a son of two different rock stars, like it was in the cards. They were going to be big, right? It's so weird that they weren't once again. But they had a lot of help on this record. You got guest stars galore. They do a, a random synthy metal version of Rush's Tom Sawyer on here. So I still listen to this record, and I still think it's pretty cool. So yeah, made it here on my countdown here. Good enough for number 37. I'm going to play you this song. This has always been one of my favorites on the record for sure. And I didn't know this at the time, but looking here on the credits, it says that both John Taylor of Duran Duran and Troy Van Leeuwen of Queens of the Stone Age and Perfect Circle both play on this track. So I'm assuming if you got John Taylor playing on this song, he's the one doing this killer bass line that I've always enjoyed on this song. So that makes total sense. And this could have been a Duran Duran song back in the day, maybe. So let me know what you think. So from Commencement, this is Deadsy with She Likes Big Words.
Deadsy right there. That was She Likes Big Words from their debut album, Commencement. Go check that out if you like that song. That'll give you a pretty good idea. A lot of their stuff is pretty slow. At least half of the record is almost kind of droney, but you're going for that vibe of the synth thing. So, yeah, I dig it, though. So there you have it. And coming in at number 36, the last song on this particular episode and this part of the countdown, let's end it off with one of the all-time greats, Motorhead. I played Joey Ramone earlier, and of course they paid tribute to Joey with their song R-E-M-O-N-E-S back in 1916. Not not the year on the record, but in 1991 on the album 1916, Motorhead, of course, paid great tribute to the Ramones with that song. But this album over here on April 9th, 2002 this would be motorhead's 16th studio album actually recorded at henson recording studios which used to be charlie chaplin's old movie studio which later became a&m records and recording studios and then of course later on became henson recording studios yes where all the muppet stuff is done now so yeah and it's still a recording studio tons of people go in and out there it's one of the most sought after studios in the world I know a lot about it because David Lee Roth likes to talk about it a lot. That's his home studio for sure. But back to Motorhead, this album called Hammered. This was produced by a guy named Tom Panunzio, which go look him up. He's got a resume a mile long. He's worked with everybody from Motorhead to The Boss to The Stones. This guy got around, so awesome. Yeah, this album, I'm going to put it in the category that I put in March or Die for the 1992 countdown. It's not in the top three Motorhead albums, but it's not in the bottom three either. It's a slightly pedestrian with flashes of brilliance kind of Motorhead record. There are a handful of songs I would definitely put on a, a playlist or a best of or what have you to represent this band. There's some good deep tracks. I mean, Every Motorhead album is just a collection of deep tracks for the most part. But yeah, the other reason I do have some decent nostalgia for this record as well, because this was the first time I actually saw Motorhead live was on this tour. I saw him at this really tiny place called the Canyon Club, which was an add-on club to the Bronco Bowl. So we're talking just a few hundred people in this place. It's packed in. It's nuts to butts, and it's the loudest band in the world. And it was something else, man. Let me tell you, woof. That was a hell of a show. It was everything I thought it was going to be, and then some. I don't remember all the songs they played that night. I don't know if they played this one as well, but this definitely has the spirit of what I experienced that night. So I'm going to use it to represent the album Hammered. So closing off the show today, this is Motorhead with Red Raw.
Closing off the show here tonight in fine fashion. Where do you go after that? That was Red Raw by Motorhead from the album Hammered. Uh, for those of you Cobras and Fire friends and fans, and I'm one of them, whenever you hear Bob Kula going, I produced Motorhead. Well, this is the album that he's bragging about doing that on. But the asterisk is, and I'm not hating on Bob. Love Bob. Rest in peace, Bob. Yes, technically he did work with and produce Motorhead. The bonus track on this album, which is called The Game, it is the, the theme song for the wrestler Triple H, one of the all-time greats right there, and it's probably the best wrestling theme ever made ever. But yes, Bob Kulik played guitar on and produced that particular track. So when Bob's like, I worked with Motorhead, yes, it was on that one song, that bonus track song on Hammered. And that was it. That'd be it, as far as I know. I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. But lots of fun there. Motorhead, hope you enjoyed that. Of course you did, right? How could you not? Why are you listening if you don't enjoy Motorhead? I I would not understand. But that all being said, I hope you're having fun with this first part of the big Top 45 Albums Countdown of 2002. We've got 35 more records to cover. It's going to be a lot of fun. And looking forward to that last part where we do five twofers in a row to represent this awesome top five from this particular year. So I hope you're intrigued. I hope you're telling some friends out there. And I hope you're well and had a great holiday. So until the next episode, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt, and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.